Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. Kobe Griffin out of the shotgun, pulls it into the belly and then out of. The ball is up in the air, hit. The ball's rolling around the Seahawks, pick it up. It's Bobby Wagner, down to the 10, down to the 5. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Bobby Wagner scoops that ball up, broke two tackles. And scoops in, and that might be a backbreaker. It always comes down to a few things, in my opinion. I, I really believe that with our football team, you know, if we capitalize on a few plays, or if we don't, you know, that's what slows us down. So we were able to capitalize. We were able to get some big third down conversions. I thought we were able to make a, a lot of huge conversions and uh, score some touchdowns. For the first time in NFL history, a final score reads 46 to 18. And that's the case when the Seahawks beat the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday night football. The Seahawks improve to uh, two and two on the young season. They visit the three and one Los Angeles Rams next week before hitting a bye in week number six. Welcome back to the Game Plan Podcast alongside Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. So much to get to. So many takeaways from this one. Uh, let's just start with the overall dynamic of this game. Seattle with a three to two lead after the first quarter trailing 15 to 10 after the first half tied at one point 18 18 after uh, in the third quarter and after that they just run away with it a 46 to 18 victory so it's great that it's a blowout win in primetime at home it's great to see Russell Wilson with the two touchdown throws 21 of 26 and a passer rating that continues to skyrocket I know you want to get to that in a bit here Perkins 107.5 for his rating 86.4 for his QBR, and yet there's still a sour feeling because you didn't come through it unscathed. Chris Carson, the seventh-round draft pick, 246th overall, who had assumed, you know, first on the depth chart duties in the Seahawks backfield, uh, goes down with an injury. It looks pretty significant. In the words of Pete Carroll, it is going to be a broken ankle Unsure if a timetable has yet been released as for a potential return and whether or not it will require surgery. And I know that will complicate the process of a potential return for Carson, but that just leaves a sour taste in your mouth on what otherwise was a pretty happy night. 46 to 18 speaks for itself. Yeah, get ready for the revolving door like it was last year. You know, ProSize has already been injured this year. Thomas Rawls has been nicked up. Um, Eddie Lacy... Uh, hasn't really been injury prone in his career, has he? In in Green Bay, I know that he missed some games. He's had but, some knee and ankle stuff before. I, I always expect a running back to miss a few games a year, just because it's one of the more brutal positions in the NFL. If we're being honest, thirteen games played, I think, is a good season for a running back yeah. in this league. Yeah, especially nowadays when you know you really exercise caution a lot with guys, yeah. um, a lot more than you used to. Um, so you know, you just worry that there's going to be another revolving door here. I mean, Procise couldn't play again. Uh, he's injury prone. Rawls was a healthy scratch last night. Rawls was a healthy scratch, but you—he, well, I mean, he'll be active next week, uh, and you expect him to probably get injured again at some point this year. And this isn't a knock on him; it's just, it's just unfortunate. But you know, I think that at this point, it's safe to say that you know you have a couple guys at running back that are injury prone, and um, you know it's it's really difficult. That really does leave a sour taste in your mouth. When Seattle scored that touchdown late to McKissick, I didn't even care. All I was thinking about was was. Carson and his injury. Yeah, I was too, except for this. McKissick is a running back, technically, right? And and you that's a you didn't know if he was any good. He makes the team. We drew comparisons between a guy like McKissick and a guy like Troy Main Pope that Seahawks fans have 
had an affinity for in years past that didn't end up contributing in the regular season very much. So McKissick, now, he's got an opportunity to contribute. Of course, you have Rawls, you know what he is, but injury prone. Eddie Lacy at least had his best showing of the season last night with 11 carries for 52 yards. A lot of that kind of came late in the second half when the Seahawks are trying to run the football and drain the clock out. But at least with McKissick, kind of a similar type to C.J. Prosize. Receiver in his background, good hands on display with the touchdown catch. And even though he's a small guy, at least he's a change of pace back that hopefully, you know, at, at least you got a guy like that in the wake of a injury to Chris Carson, whereas you'd be in a di- more difficult spot if, if you didn't think you had any assets of depth behind Carson. It still sucks to lose Chris, though. He was such an important piece of this offense early on. He was, and uh, I guess that's why they're carrying so many running backs because they know that, uh, you know, death by a thousand cuts to that position. It has been that way for a couple seasons now where guys just can't stay healthy. Um, so it's it's really frustrating. It really, really is. Really quick, I know we see this differently, but yes. the fact that Chris Carson is getting the football with a 21-point lead in the fourth quarter, you take issue with that. I, I don't. But when when I saw him in the game before the end, just so you know, I, I know that it's easy, a hindsight 2020 thing always, right? Like, you know, let's hearken to the Ducks real quick. People are saying, "Oh, Justin Herbert should have been running; shouldn't have been running the ball when he injured himself." Right, and this yeah. happens with multiple teams every it does. year. It does. And Significant guys going down to injury in questionable moments of the game, where you either question a play call or you question their being out there, and those questions are relevant. Yes, and you and I disagree on this. Um, I have to say, but when I look at it, I just go. Uh, you know, when he was out there, I was just a little bit confused when they're up so many points and he is clearly their number one guy, right? I mean, you you have Rawls and Lacey, you know, flirting back and forth between active and inactive. It's just a little frustrating uh, to me when you are depending on him so much at a position where you have so much contact and the risk for injury is so great just because you're playing running back where so many things can happen. I don't understand at that point of the game why he needs to be in why you're not having some other guys in there, you know, getting reps. So that that was why it was frustrating to me. I'm not saying, oh, this is a complete failure on the coaching staff and they should be to blame for all this and blah, 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 because I get it. It's something that's common in the NFL, but it's still frustrating when you depend on a guy so much to have him out there that late in the game when it, the game was out of – I mean, it was not in question at that point. So uh, I, I was frustrated, but – you know, you just got to move on and, uh, you know, find another guy to fill the void. Hopefully he can be back before uh, the season is done. On this particular drive, it was a 39-18 to 18 lead for the Seahawks. They took over with nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Eddie Lacy starts on the drive. Carson comes in. Lacy a rush. Carson a rush. Lacy a rush. Then a pass play to convert a third down. And then Carson's injury came on a uh, run for no gain. 6.37 left in the fourth quarter, and that's when he was out. And obviously the injury looked gruesome when it happened. The The nature of the injury, though, it, it, that's fluky, man. I mean, it's it crazy fluky. This it, is not like— It got rolled under his ankle. Is it, it was very strange, yes. I don't have an issue with him being out there. I mean, at that point, you're still trying to finish the football game. Like Pete Carroll pre- preaches finishing. We know that's an integral core value to any football team, but especially the Seahawks. You do it with guys you trust. Okay, you don't trust Eddie Lacy. You don't trust McKissick. If you don't trust these guys to hold on to the football up 21, then what are they doing on the team? I mean, well, at that point of the game, okay, maybe it's the a game's de- over. Maybe it's a degree of trust. Who do you trust the most? And it's obviously Chris Carson. 
and they're rotating the backs on this drive too. They're it, this very well could have been Eddie Lacy if it was two plays prior. I mean, it was Lacy then Carson, Lacy then Carson, and then Carson, and he gets hurt. It's so fluky that I mean, I twenty-one point lead fourth quarter, yes, but my first thought there is not, oh, Carson might get hurt. Let's let's keep him on the bench. It's let's finish this game because this is a game where you're trying to reinforce your identity, mm. right? And you do it by pounding the football with your best guy to finish the game. I don't have an issue with it. Although I, I understand the argument. Obviously, that argument is easier because he's hurt. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I get it. Would it. you it's, be making the same argument if he was healthy? Yeah, I mean, I. it's not uncommon. I'm a big, like, if you're up big in any sport, take out your best guys because I don't want to see injuries. Right. You know, when, when when LeBron James and the Cavaliers are up 25 points in the fourth and he's still in the game, I'm like, what are you doing right now? Why are you doing this? So um, it's just something I've always believed in personally. Um, but, I, I look... I get it. I get your argument, and I think that it was a total fluke play. I mean, the odds are like, what, five, 1% that he gets injured in that situation, but probably less than that where he you know, gets a significant injury. So I get where you're coming from for sure. Okay. Your thoughts when it was halftime and the Seahawks were down 15 to 10 was? Everything is bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> first of all, people were like blaming Blair Walsh and like, can we stop that, please? Okay, um, did you... Uh, good God. <laughs> great reporting by Michelle Tafoya, even though it hurt my heart, to see how much Blair was struggling. Yeah. Tafoya reported at halftime, and they had the cameras on Blair Walsh practicing his field goals at halftime after he pushed the 46-yarder wide right. Yeah. He goes out at halftime, pulls everything left, <laughs> went 0 for 6 with his halftime warm-up kicks. I mean... How bad do you feel for the guy? At least they blew it open the second half that he can regain his form with some extra points. But is that a thing? I mean, Blair Walsh, does, he doesn't look that good. It was his first miss of the season. I mean, it was just funny because he missed the extra point, I know, in San against San Francisco. But it, it, it was kind of funny. Like, he misses the kick, and everyone's frustrated just because of the, the game, the way the game had gone, right? Like, it was so terrible. It certainly compounds and, it, yes. And everyone was super frustrated. And like, so of then, course, Blair and so Walsh then you miss. Ma- then you blame the kicker, right? Like, I'm like, of all the problems in this game, that is, like, the most inconsequential to me. Like, yeah. there are so many other issues to discuss. Um, you know, my thought was, this team is not good. That was my thought at halftime is, this team just isn't a good football team. Honestly, that's how I felt. Um, they and, had gotten a pick six from um, Justin Coleman, his first interception of his career, training training for him from uh, New England. And that was the only reason the Seahawks were in that spot to begin with. Their only touchdown of the first half was that pick six. And, of course, the safety uh, with Russell Wilson getting sacked upon review. It was a pretty, pretty shoddy first half. I did not expect that. I expected the Seahawks to come out, you know, ready to rock, assert themselves early, as the better football team, using the energy of the crowd and uh, re- just kind of reinforcing who they've been in the past in prime time. They did not do that. This was another bad start for them. Yeah, another uh, classic September Seahawks game. Um, you know, and it's funny because you mentioned the safety, and that happened pretty early in the game. And I'm sitting there going, God, who broke Russell Wilson? Like, who? What, what has happened to this guy? You know, and then obviously things turned around pretty quickly after that. I mean, I know they were still a bit of a slow start, but he seemed to really get comfortable at the very least. I mean, it looked early in the game. Once again, he was seeing phantom pressure. And I'm not blaming necessarily only him for that, okay? The offensive well, line yeah. has been bad enough to dictate. Well, I understand why he feels that way, but this is a guy that's, you know, rolling out of the pocket, you know, backpedaling way too quickly, not stepping up because he doesn't trust his line. 
And I was going, God, what has happened to this offense? It's, it's just so bad. Um, you know, and don't even get me started on Jimmy Graham. I mean, you, you don't even want me to go there. Well, yeah, I mean, let, let's go ahead and go there. I mean, he <laughs> finishes with, uh, let's see, his final numbers here, four catches for 61 yards. Um, that looks good on the face of it. Uh, but I think what you're probably referencing more than anything else is the drop pass that he had, you know, off of his hands, room service interception, one of the two on the night for the Colts of Russell Wilson. Fun fact, both of those targets on the interceptions, Jimmy Graham. Um, the, and I got to tell you, even the interception that was an underthrown ball by Wilson, I didn't feel like Graham made enough of an effort. Like, dude, you're six foot six. You weigh like 280 pounds. Like, will you not play like a, a soft 15-year-old playing football for the first time? It really – he was channeling his inner um, – Jermaine Curse. So on okay. that play, it, it was it was just frustrating, and I'm not blaming the pick only on him, but I want to see some fight. And this is a guy that has dropped a lot of balls in traffic this year. Um, you know, saw the ball go off his hands later in this game, and so it's just a compounding frustration of the season where you haven't seen him. I I feel like be as tough as you need him to be. Yes. That being said, is this my water here? By the way, yes. Okay, good. I was been eyeing that. <laughs> I agree with you. He he has shown a, a lack of edge, but I don't know if he's ever shown that edge in his entire NFL career. I think that's just the you know how some players, maybe curses included in this, they're done a they do a disservice to themselves simply by how they look when they play. I think Graham's one of those guys. You know, I think we saw this in New Orleans. We see it in Seattle here. I think defenses know that you can get in Graham's head by hitting him hard. Yeah. And hitting him hard over the middle. Even the catch that he had, he got crunched on the lower part of his leg there. I He's thinking about that. He's had knee issues I was with gonna the say, team, you know? I wonder how much the injury plays into that as well. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. But it certainly looks bad when, you know, he, when, he, when he fails to catch the football, it, it looks like lethargic. It looks like a lack of effort. And not, oh, I'm really trying. I just missed that one. It just looks bad. So maybe, maybe the optics does him a disservice more than his actual effort. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I don't think that he like doesn't try. But I mean, I, anyone I, that tall, I, I mean, do think that he's skittish <laughs> and not as physical as he needs to be. Like I do sure. think that, which is why I use the term soft because I, I feel like he is he gets major alligator arms, um, and that that bothers you, me. You what, don't see that as much with a Kelsey or a Gronkowski. Yeah, who has similar frames? When you have a, I mean, both of your interceptions was your you know twenty two million dollar man throwing to your ten million dollar man. That's thirty two million dollars worth of cap space nice. uh, that are resulting in interceptions. So yeah, that's frustrating to me. You know, and in New Orleans, I think that he didn't have to be that way because their scheme was designed around him in so many ways. Right? You had so many weapons there too when he was in his prime. That Jimmy Graham was open a lot or in one on one situations <laughs> with guys that are like. Five foot ten, trying to guard yeah. him out there. So it, Sean Payton as a play caller, <laughs> Daryl Bevel as a play caller. <laughs> well, it's just a different scheme, right? It's a different system. Like yeah. the, the Seattle does not necessarily design things around Jimmy Graham and design ways for him to get open. They expect him to make, you know, fifty fifty ball catches a lot of the time. It's a good point, and that is just not something that he did in New Orleans. So I think that we're we're just learning that he's a really talented guy who you know, is coming off of an injury and who knows how much that's affected his speed and all these things. But if you're asking him to make a lot of plays in traffic, um, to you know, to to catch a ball over the middle with, you know, a safety bearing down or something like that, I, I just don't know if you can expect him to make those plays. All right. So Russell Wilson's second half against the Titans, outstanding. Um, 
a lot of it came when the team was trying to come back from two possession deficits. First half against the Colts, you know, not a lot there. Feeling the pressure, understandably so. Offense just wasn't performing very well as a whole. Second half, though, major different story, including the 23-yard touchdown run up the middle, which me included, got every Seahawks fan really hyped, energized, kind of redialed in everybody's yes. focus. The fire that he showed on the sideline he after that so run. He looked so good, too, running the ball, didn't he? He looked really good. Looked 100%. Which and, is great. <laughs> and dove for the for the goal line and very glad. Disappointing that Pete Carroll had to waste a challenge. Seriously, right? I was so frustrated. Like how, the, the ref was in perfect position. Both how of them. Yeah. do you miss that play? Very frustrating. That was frustrating. But regardless, it doesn't come back to bite the Seahawks. Um, great numbers for Wilson. We mentioned earlier the uh, passer rating of 107.5. 21 of 26 in this game. Two touchdowns, the two interceptions, one of which wasn't his fault. For 295 yards, was sacked three times, and of course uh, had the rushing touchdown. This guy, he's still really, really good, and it's just <laughs> nice to see when he's playing well, even though if it's for a half here and a half there. We haven't seen it over a full game stretch, but you know, nice to see, especially in the second half. Well, and when you look when you look in the second half and, and you found their success, what was he doing? R- running the football when guys weren't open, making smart decisions. You know what else he was doing? Staying in the pocket. Like, he was delivering di- – like, he looked more comfortable, didn't he, in the second half? Like, even the touchdown pass at the end of the game when, you know, the great catch by McKissick. Oh, what an adjustment, by the way, to make that catch. Um, I mean, Wilson stayed in the pocket. You know, and the offensive line was better in they this were. game. They, it's they were. Better. In the second half, they were just downright good. They were. And, you know, but he wasn't <laughs> hearing the phantom – you know, we talked about the phantom the phantom footsteps, right? Sure. He, I, he wasn't hearing those in the second half. You, He was – he seemed, at least, to be very comfortable, um, you know, in the pocket. And Doug Baldwin looked good. So, I mean, I do feel better about the offense, I guess. But once again, it's a little grain of salty. because oh, it's look, the Colts. <laughs> it's the Colts. Their best pass rusher is Jabal Sheard, who had an impact in the first half of this game. But you're not going to face a lot of opponents who's their best pass rusher is going to be a Jabal Sheard. I mean, there's the Rams next week are going to be even tougher. Um That being said, the offensive line had their best half of football in the second half against Indy, both opening up running lanes and pass protection. The result was the offense was on fire in the second half. I mean, is it oversimplifying it to say the offensive line plays well, this offense will play well? Because I think that's the truth. There's a lot to be said about that. I don't think Russ, whenever Russell Wilson plays poorly, it's always correlated to pressure. Yeah. He never plays poorly when he actually has time to sit back there and throw. And it's whether and it's whether that pressure is real or not. If there's pressure all throughout the game, it's going to get to him yeah. and get to his head, even when there isn't pressure. But uh, you know, I don't know how you feel. How do you feel about li- after this game? Like, how do you feel about the team now? Do well, you- I expected a blowout win. You and I both did. I mean, you had thirty-four so, ten. I had thirty-four thirteen. Yeah, and I, I, I'm glad that the defense was able to uh, have a couple of you know turnover Two touchdowns. touchdowns. That reminded me of. 2013, 2012 type defenses, you know, the the pick sixes, the the scoop and score. It was very 2012, 2013, where like slow, 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 and then like just freaking Floodgates. avalanche. Yeah. Floodgates, you know, yeah. and, and it reminded me of, uh, you know, the Carolina Sunday night game that I anticipated it would have that type of feel. Um, you know, blowout wins in prime time at home, the Saints game of 2013, right, where they just, Michael Bennett's scoop and score in that game. Like it had that kind of feel going into it. Um, and I'm I'm glad that that showed. But that being said, since I expected it, I'm not all that surprised. My expectations haven't really all changed that much. And to be honest, through four weeks of the season, you know, my expectations and my reaction hasn't 
changed all that much. I mean, they're two and two, and I thought they'd be three and one because I thought they'd beat the Titans on the road. Yes. But it was a tough spot, you know, tough conditions. And they're like the rest of the league is two and two. I like, get it. And like there's the, so many weird things going on in the NFL yeah. anyway, right? Yeah. Every every team has warts. Every team has flaws, mm-hmm. even these ridiculous looking Patriots. All right. Both teams that played in the Super Bowl last year. What'd they do this weekend? The Falcons lost at home to the Bills. The Patriots lost at home to the struggling Panthers. The Patriots have the okay. same record as the Jets. Yeah. <laughs> I guess my biggest takeaway is is uh, less on the Seahawks and how good do we think the L.A. Rams are because that's who the Seahawks get next week and the Rams just walked, rocked right into Arlington and pulled out a win over the Cowboys and are 3-1. and one. Yeah, and that's a road game, right, for Seattle? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I don't know. We'll talk about it more Friday, but... but you know that game doesn't necessarily seem like the slam dunk it might have been. Uh, you know when you once again when you start the year, but I'm with you. My expectations have not changed one way or another. I still feel like there's a lot to see from this team. You know, for me to be convinced that they are going to be good enough to get to a Super Bowl and win, there is uh, a lot that needs to be uh, said here. You know, yeah, well, so a lot. I know me and you didn't think they'd go to the Super Bowl this year, and I, I still feel that way because of the offensive line. You know, don't take too much from beating up on the Colts in the second half in prime time. Losing Carson, I think, is a real thing. It is. So, what do you have in Rawls and Lacey? Yeah. And McKissick. I mean, that's, and, and maybe Procise. Maybe, maybe tailor the offense a little bit. Procise and McKissick are receiving weapons. They just are. So, that that could be fun. You this, know? this feels like a, still like a divisional round team right now. It does. That's what it feels like. Feels like last year. A little bit. But so we kind of just leave our leave the game going cool. They won. Yeah, but I think that's fair. You know, at least they won. <laughs> I mean, at the at half, I was seriously concerned. If they would have lost, I think we would have been questioning playoff capabilities of this team. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Since Especially they with won, the Rams sitting at three and since one. Since they won, our expectations of divisional round, maybe title game. I think those remain intact, but still a lot of questions. Next week they visit Sean McVay and the LA Rams. Then it's a bye week um, for Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. We'll be back again later this week. Gameplay Podcast 1029thegame.com. Yeah.